Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 82 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read through books for the first time. At least I do. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we are going to be reading through Michael Crichton's The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park. In this episode, we're going to be reading through chapters Decision through Trailer. I hope I got the right one. You probably did. There's a lot of trailers. Uh, the way we go through this book, our format works like this. We start with a chapter, we go through the pages one by one, we take notes, and we discuss them together. Kind of like a book club, if but with no friends. Um, if And no wine. I'm not, we don't, I mean, I think I tried having alcohol on the show once and it was awful. Yeah, I told you not to. Well, you you said we'll see how this goes, and then you were like, maybe not, maybe not again, maybe no no more of that. And I was like, you I can't get, tell me what to do. <laughs> I get sauced all the time, but Doug can't handle his liquor. So we're going to start that way. We're going to end that way. I don't think there's anything else to say. Uh, we'll we'll start this like we finished it together. Oh wait, no, I said that backwards, didn't I? Never mind. That's cut. That's that's out. That's out. If for some reason you're only listening to this episode for the lost world jurassic park uh at this point in the show i can say you should go back and you could listen to all of our episodes for every uh book in the harry potter series and jurassic park itself um if you've listened to everything and are up to this point then whoa cool gold star thank you um also if you know anybody in japan who would like to listen to our show send them a link let them know we like them okay do you want to start the show now i do we do have any housekeeping not really no we gotta look something up i don't i think i was but i didn't and i'm not that's you know it's fair um this book does not deserve housekeeping not least time at least last time it did great episode last episode let's the episode was good that doesn't make it doesn't matter doesn't matter Oof, there's that chip again. <laughs> um, all right, that let's get into it. The first chapter of this episode is decision. I have a note. I have lots of notes in this chapter. I've got one two-part note that takes up basically the whole page. Why don't you start? Okay, part one. Wasn't the argument in the first book, Jurassic Park? That all dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, uh, that their vision was based on movement because they were all filled with DNA from frogs. Um, you know what? I'm rethinking this now. Only in that only some of the Jurassic Park dinosaurs were based on frogs, and that's why they could reproduce. But I swear I remember a line from that that it was not just the T-Rex, but all the dinosaurs... Visual acuity was based on movement. That's what I'm getting at. Do you remember that line from the book? Um, here's the things I remember. I remember that there's a graphic in the first book that shows you which dinosaurs are breeding, and not all of them are. Yes. I think that implies those are the ones that were mixed with frog DNA. Right, right. I've already I just discussed well, that, but it's fine. Go ahead. What I was getting at was that you might be onto something in looking back and seeing if the T-Rex is one of them. Because I don't think it was. I don't think there was any evidence of T-Rexes breeding on the island. There was a tiny baby T-Rex, but that was something they had hatched. You're right. And then no, there you're, was the, you are the big correct. One. So I don't 
that that's where that's the point I'm making. I don't know if they made it clear that the T Rex itself had frog DNA. No, it, I'm pretty sure it did not. So what I'm what I'm trying to reword my note now is just I swear I remember a line about all the dinosaurs having this movement based vision. Feature. Again, um, I can think of three instances where it's clear that they do. Um, the one is obviously every time the T-Rex is around. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the scene, the the whole like Apatosaurus in the tree scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where like they, they move and it goes like, what? Um, there's the scene. Where, I think I think Nedry's death is one of those scenes where it's sort of implied that the Dilophosaurus couldn't see him, but he was like making a fuss. And so it saw him. Right. Um, I, 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 th- I, here's my, my problem with that is I don't remember that being anything when it comes to compies or raptors. Correct. Because compies um, definitely need to see the dead body because they're scavengers. Yes. Well, no, they don't. They could smell it. But that's the whole problem with this idea about... Vi- that's why this... My entire time reading that first book, and even this one, is like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know what this means. Is it... This idea of the visual acuity is based on movement. Does that mean that these creatures can't track objects that are moving unless they're moving? But that's like... a that's like an oxymoron. Right. Of course you couldn't track a non-moving object unless it was moving. Right. I mean, you could keep track of it, but it's not moving. Right. Now, are you saying that, like, this idea of, like, they, how do you test whether or not a frog can and can't see an object that's not in motion? Like, I don't I know mean, how that test would work. I'd love to, I'd love to know, but I can't fathom it instantly. I mean, you wire electrodes into its brain. It's not necessarily an ethical test. But regardless... It, well, it, well, I, I, yeah, I felt like these chapters basically said that whole thing's bullshit. Information I, in this chapter comes to light that says this whole thing's bullshit, and that of course T Rexes can see you if you're not moving. So that leads me to part two of my note. So in retrospect, the T Rex, which was actively engaged in ripping up the car and continuing to harass Grant and the kids, and did not eat them because it had just eaten uh, that guy who was not Gennaro in the book, that makes no sense. Did Crichton not keep notes? I don't. And then he has this line about uh, anything larger than a goat will keep it satisfied for hours. So that's why it didn't eat. I'm like, no, none of this makes sense. Sure, it just ate that guy. But why was it trying to destroy and hunt them down? And then was right there in their face. And didn't do anything that. This is like the Malcolm being alive thing. This is him trying to recontextualize or just just outright deny what he already wrote and it's just crap well i've got i've got two notes on that okay um or two things to say about that one uh i i did feel vindicated with this revelation that all that shit about visual acuity based on movement was bullshit uh i i like that i i also took note about this idea that levine says the t-rex wouldn't attack someone if it wasn't hungry which uh, everything you brought up i'll reiterate uh we had that exact discussion. We had that discussion uh, on the show uh, about the scene where Grant and the kids are maniacally pursued by the Rex uh, on, in like the lake or the river right. or the waterfall, all right. that shit. Um, and we remember, and, and and that scene on the lake starts with the Rex sleeping because it's overindulged itself in eating, it gorged a, itself, yeah, like a hadrosaur or something yeah. that was right there, and. 
they make a sound, it hears them make a sound, and it's like, I guess I gotta go back killing. I'm a, I'm Jason Voorhees. I'm a fucking like, like a killing machine. Like my, I, I thought like, it, it reminded me when I was reading this time. I was in reflecting. I was like, it's like that, that that T Rex chased after them like Schwarzenegger chased after a Turbo Man doll. Like it's, <laughs> or Linda it's, Hamilton, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's where I thought yeah. that analogy He's... was going, and you threw me. That was funny. <laughs> um, I could have said Sinbad. Sure. Sinbad also pursued the Turbo Man doll. Absolutely. Uh, you know, without without giving up. But I we we both had that reflection in that book about this doesn't make any sense. This is very dumb. Like why? Or or it feels like a plot device, not like it's reasonable behavior for a predator. Mm-hmm. So that's my first part is saying I agree with you. I had the same thoughts. Second part is I kind of feel like this stuff he's saying is his way of saying, okay, I made a really popular book, wrote a really popular book, made a movie. And what comes with that is a lot of criticism. Mm -hmm. And I think this is his way of addressing scientific criticism about the things he was establishing in the first book that he hadn't had the opportunity to hear rebuttals against in the way that he would after he wrote the book. And so I think he's sort of retconning. No, I agree. But but, but sort of writing it in a way of saying, oh yeah, Grant and this other uh, guy, they were fucking idiots. Not me, Michael Crichton, because I'm writing these new characters who are saying the right thing. But Grant and these other guys, they were so fucking wrong in their theories. And, 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 but he also has the benefit of the doubt of saying, uh, all of the people who were saying these things never had the opportunity to actually study these creatures. They just had to observe them in, in crisis scenarios and situations in the matter of a day or two. Sure. Um, where my forgiveness of this breaks down though, is the narration was reliant on these, you know, quote unquote factoids. And, Mm-hmm. The things that happened followed the thought that was explained by Grant. Even if Grant was in the wrong, these things shouldn't have happened, and yet they did. And that's that's. Well, or this explanation to... is bad writing. What do you want? Like Jurassic Park, the special edition. I want. Like, where they go, they I go w- through and they fix it. I don't want him to fix it. I want him to spend a little more time making everything work which I feel like he's not done in this book. And this is another example of that. I kind of, I mean, I, I hear you there. I think that this is more of an example of him saying, mm, I feel bad about how it didn't really work in the first book. And I, it's so obvious to me now that that doesn't make any sense. What I, the stuff I said, the last book. So I've got to come up with a way to explain it away. And I, I personally, and this is, this is just me. I don't have a problem with the way he did it in this one. I think that it, does kind of make Jurassic Park look less perfect, but I don't think that it's Lost World's fault. No, it's not Lost World's fault, but it's Michael Crichton's fault, and this I will not forgive. Okay, fair enough. Do you have anything else you want to say about that no, subject? No, I'm out. Okay. Um, I've got a lot more to say okay. <laughs> about this chapter. Okay. Uh, actually, some stuff before that topic. Number okay, one, sure. uh, the quote, Roxton doesn't know enough about anatomy to have sex with his wife. Sick burn. That's <laughs> good. It was a good burn. That is a mmm. You bet Jurassic it's a good burn. Sorry. Good. No, fuck you. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um 
and lastly for this chapter uh at this point it sort of gets this this note gets addended addendumed addendumized amended later okay Okay. um i i just this is levine is left alone after being bitten by the compies and at that point i thought oh he's not making it this is the guy Uh, he's gonna be uh, the guy no um not levine Dodgen. Yes, Levine. Oh, yes. No, uh, Levine. This Levine's is, in the no, high hide. Not right now. In this first chapter, he's not there yet. He is still at the nest after having been bitten and abandoned by Eddie. Oh. He hasn't made it to the hide yet. And either way, he has been bitten by compies at this point. No, you're right. You're right. I... I, I... More than one person gets bitten by trailer took this, this... so the last trailer chapter took so long, right? I forgot that they were out in the in the nest. So you're right. I'm sorry. He he moves locations. Yeah. Off off page. Yeah. Um. He just radios in and says, "I'm at a new place now." Right. 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 Um. Right. And th- there's a lot of that that I'm not happy with too. We'll get to that later. Um. What? Sure. So 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 reiterate. So um, at this point, he uh. My thought is, oh, he's going to go Hammond. Like, he's going to, he's been bit. He's going to slowly fall asleep and be eaten alive. And then later he shows up in the high hide and I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, he's, he's at least off the ground. So if he passes out in the high hide, he'll be fine. Right. But like, he'll, he'll sleep it off. But like, anyway, uh, presuming that's how the neurotoxin works. Yeah. That was just the first note. That's all I have for that chapter. You want to move on to the next chapter? Let's do it. That chapter is. Nest. I got two notes. Number one. If Levine stays in the high hide, he's probably not going to die from the copy bite. I said all that already. <laughs> Second note. Again, these notes end up being invalidated because I continued to read. <laughs> so so did mine. But it's... Uh, I really hope they kill that baby T-Rex. <laughs> uh, that uh, Because that would be so much more satisfying than what they did in the movie. Yeah. Um... I wrote, so did Eddie shoot the baby with the gun or with the poison? So I don't think they have a gun. I think they just had the poison. Oh, only the gun? Okay. Or only the poison? Maybe he has a shotgun. I don't know. I'm, I'm I assume lost they, about would, what they... they would be there with a shotgun, but I wouldn't want to waste a poison dart. Because then that was going to lead to some animals, you know, eat their dead young. And if the T-Rex ate a baby T-Rex shot with that incre- incredibly strong poison, would that kill the T-Rex? And that seemed like something that Grant and Sarah wouldn't tell him to do because they would th- they would think about the ramifications of all those consequences, um, which is maybe why I assumed he also had a gun. So I was I was very confused. But as we find out, none of this matters. Yeah. Um, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Nope. Let's move on to the next chapter. Gambler's Run. No, Gambler's Ruin. Sorry, I wrote there that badly. Gambler's Ruin. Okay. Uh. I, my note says more data, and I don't even remember what I was thinking. <laughs> what what I, I, my note is, uh, in this chapter, Malcolm explains the Heisenberg uh, uncertainty principle and the gambler's run theory, subtly suggesting that bad shit is about to happen. Fair. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's it, it's, it's basically two, three pages, I think, yeah. of him just basically going, here's the Heisenberg, here's gambler's ruin. <laughs> Let's it's, it's like it's like he's showing us him building a house of cards like on a trampoline going oh oh <laughs> i 
<laughs> sure, be, sure would suck and be unpredictable for this to fall apart. Um, yeah. Brings us to the next chapter. King. I think I... Uh, do you have any notes on this? I have one, and it's... Okay. Did it seem at first that King's Jeep was in a tree? I was very confused. Okay. By the blocking, it and was... I feel like there's more blocking later that I'm just like... The blocking is confusing. Okay. The, the way the blocking worked was they backed up over a cl- like a hill cliff. Oh, was that he, one of those uses... like the end of the chapter that way? And if I had not read that part of, over a week ago, it would have made sense. Well, I mean, I read it over a week ago, and I remember. Yeah, but you re- you you continue on right away. I did. Okay. Um. Uh. The. I think so. The answer is yes. Okay. Um. It, the last episode we ended on, we we talked about it was a literal cliffhanger because they were, the the, the Jeep was right over the edge of the cliff. I remember you like, saying that. I'm like, was it? Why is he, why did he call it that? Uh, but clearly That's why. it was a literal cliffhanger. Um, Hilarious. Except, it, except it's not a real cliff. It's just, it, it, the way it's described is like, it's kind of a tree that he's backed into. Like I, I the way it's described makes me confused because it, it, I think, okay. You have a hill, yeah, and and it's a it's a big hill, yeah, uh, like a like a tiny mountain, <laughs> and it uh it has a road on it, a road going up it, and that road has switchbacks, so those switchbacks you know start wide and get and go up and get you know shorter as you go up. I think what happened is they backed it up to a switchback cliff edge. At which there is a tree. Okay. So they the back of their the back of their Jeep went off into air and then hit a tree and got sort of stuck. So it's like in this weird position where it can't go either way. Now somehow he does get it going Cause again because he because he, he has the front wheel drive he engages. Right. Um. So I don't know how stuck they really were. I don't know how deep of a cliff this was. The way he describes Dodgson's distance from him is pretty severe mm-hmm. or significant. So I, I, I don't know the Crichton's not really, the, he's very fast. He moves his stories, but his ability to describe in clear detail, what's happening in the sequences, uh, kinetically isn't that sharp or isn't as sharp as I, I feel like I'd like it. And I, I, I also am self-conscious of feeling like I don't want to ask the writer to do all the work for me. I, you know, I can do a little bit, but this one feels, I just, he interchanges some words like cliff and hill, and those are different things to me. Um, like a a steep decline is different than a sheer drop-off. Absolutely. And a sheer drop-off is what a cliff is to me. Um, so, anyway. But he kept, he kept talking about these switchbacks and stuff, so I got to imagine that's what he was really talking about. Makes sense. Okay, thank you. Yep. Um... My note is a king wakes up in a crashed car, plans to get off the island, notices Dodgson's assumed dead body, careful to say assumed, uh, and follows the car Malcolm was in. For some reason, it occurs to me that the map of the island in my book isn't this island. Despite marking something as where Dodgson lands, I um, I mean, presumably, I mean, by the end of these chapters, we know Dodgson survives, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a different island. The book that I have, the the illustration in it, 
is of Isla Nublar. And we're on Isla uh, Sonar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are entirely different islands. Yeah. And unless in this book we go back to Isla Nublar, I've got to imagine that that map is... I mean, that's unfortunately, that's what I have to assume, is that by the end of this book, we're back on that island, and Dodgson's alive. Or that, so, or that illustration's wrong. Or it's weird, but why would it be there? Like, why would they publish it? You know someone published it and made it and went like, yeah, a lot of people had to go through making that happen. So I've got to imagine it's not wrong. What about the rest of the uh, the map? Is it is it indicating Jurassic Park things or Lost World things? Like, is there a visitor center? Oh, shit. This is Isla Sonar. Wow. Does it say Nublar on it? It doesn't say it anywhere, but I'm reading it now for the first time, and I this is Isla... This is Sonar. For sure. Huh. Very interesting. There's things on here that I don't know... I don't know what they are. Well, don't read ahead. Um, Yeah, I, I gotta stop reading ahead. Crazy crazy and see that's the importance of paying attention to what you read wow i uh am glad i i guess i'm not glad i saw all that why wouldn't they have two island maps it's the same map it's the same map on both ends of the book whatever two fucking islands in these stories and they they have the one whatever (sighs) lame and it's for the sequel it's the sequel island why why spoil that (sighs) well fuck that shit i guess um fuck that shit everyone all right i'm done with that chapter okay Next chapter. Bad news. Uh, so this is where I realized that they they brought back the baby Rex, <laughs> just like you wanted. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. Um. Let me re- let me explain. The reason I'm mad about this is because now I won't be surprised about what happens. I know exactly what's going to happen for the next God knows how many pages until it ends. Yes. Like I. Because the rest of this, the rest of our episode is a huge chunk of the movie. Right. And it's verbatim. Yeah. It's basically verbatim. I mean, there's no gymnastics, but that happens later. Not in this part. That's way later. Okay, the okay. gymnastics are way later in the movie. Um, I, Me, this is where I feel like Crichton's getting real lazy. And it has to do with Eddie. Um, when we left Eddie, he was saying, I'm right behind you, but this thing is on my foot and you're telling me to shoot it. Then they split up. Apparently we only get from context because they come back and then Eddie shows up later having brought the Rex. Mm-hmm. And no, they say that they get in the car and they leave him there at the nest. They leave him or they all get in the yeah, car. No, he has a motorcycle. Eddie's on the motorcycle. He's driving himself around the island. That's why he was with Levine on the motorcycle, patching Levine's compy bite. He rode his motorcycle to the Rex nest and met them there. And that's why they leave without him, because he's going to drive himself back on his motorcycle. I guess. But I feel like an author who cared more would have conveyed that better. That's why Michael Crichton didn't care. I'll just I'll just say again. I mean, I I knew what happened. <laughs> we read in the same book. <laughs> yeah, because you're a Jurassic Park wonderkind. I hate I hate to say this to you, but the book is the control. 
So, and not just because that word is overused mm-hmm. in these books, but yeah. it, scientifically, it's it's the thing that doesn't change. Hey. We're, th- we're the variables that are different. Hey, you know what? I'm not arguing with you right now. And I I knew where I, I got it. Do you have a note? <laughs> um, just I fucking hated Eddie. I <laughs> hated him for doing that. Like, Because um, he condemned it, you to purgatory. His Vince Vaughn's character in the film is much more understandable for why he would do it than this Eddie. This Eddie... His characterization is a sort of gearhead who is working with Thorn for his whole life or whatever, and he's an invaluable asset to Thorn's empire, and that's where he comes from. Uh, Vince Vaughn's Eddie, I think it's Eddie, in the movie is a wildlife photographer who is also part of a uh, eco-terrorist movement who is trying to free the dinosaurs off the island. So he, it's it's supposed to be, I think it's at the time it was supposed to be sort of like a... Uh, a take on something like PETA or, or the, the colloquial tree huggers. So for a person with those values, like Eddie, he would risk his own safety and the safety of others to assist an animal in surviving a situation that otherwise it would have died from, Mm -hmm. uh, because he's a bleeding heart as it were. Um, that all makes so much more sense to me than Eddie, I don't even remember what his justification is in the book. Just he didn't want to. Uh, it's weak. Very weak. So, you know, point movie. That's all I have for that chapter. You want to go to the next chapter? Let's do it. That chapter is called... Fifth Configuration, Baby. Uh, my only note is that this is exactly what I didn't want to read. <laughs> um, that's, that's it. I, uh... I agree with you, but also there was this line where Sarah mentions her dad was a vet and Malcolm reacts with this incredible surprise that Crichton calls attention to. And maybe it'll pay off later, as we have to say, but it was weird. It was just a weird, what? We spent a lot of time together. We were in relationships and this is new. Why did that come up? I I don't see how it could pay off. And it's just, well, which part of it is the new part? What can you can you re-describe what it is that you're uh, taking issue with? And I'm not. I I'm don't not mean that as a challenge. I, I no, no, no. I, I'll even I'll find it and I'll read it. I have to. I spend a lot of time looking through scat of predators. She said, examining pieces of bones that are left behind and figuring out which animals have been eaten. To do that, you have to know comparative anatomy very well. She moved the transducer along the baby's leg, and my father was a vet. Malcolm looked up sharply. Your father was a vet? Yes, at the San Diego Zoo. He was a bird specialist, but I don't see... Can you magnify this? Why did he look up sharply? Why was he so shocked by this? Why, why did they point that out? Why did Crichton spend time on that? It just it was just weird. It was like... Wh- why? <laughs> um, so, my impression of why that's in the book is because we're about to lead into a chapter where they're alone and there's suggestion that the reason they're alone is because someone's trying to set them up as like a couple and reestablish them as a couple. And so I think that that line is, is there for Crichton to tell the audience, yes, we are going to set them up as a couple. We know they've been a couple in the past, uh, 
But I, I think it's important. This is me speaking as Crichton. I, I think it's important for the audience to understand that these people, they really don't know each other that well. And like to the point where if you, you would probably know what your, you know, uh, lover, <laughs> I didn't have a better term. Um, your, your lovers, uh, especially if you've been together as long as they have or been knowing each other as long as they have, you'd know what your their parents did for a living. So I also think it's there because it can help establish the idea that it actually isn't really that surprising for these two characters who have not talked about that, considering their relationship seems to be built almost majority on uh, academic conversation. Sure. And so these are the people, I think it's sort of like saying these are the people who wouldn't even think to have a conversation about their parents' employment. I, I, I can see that. I mean, it, it smacks a frog DNA. I don't disagree with the point. Um, but then again, it's just, it feels like it's badly handled because I feel like a more realistic conveyance of that would be, huh, I didn't know that. Not Malcolm looking up sharply. Like it's a... Well, the sharp... Uh, again, I'm frog. I, I'm adding things. Sure, but it's my it's my interpretation of that. Is I think the frog DNA or the the reaction there is more the sharp lookup is more a couple things. Malcolm, I think, is realizing one that's a huge advantage we could be putting to use that I didn't realize you had. I didn't know you had this kind of backlog of animal history, especially with birds, uh, because that's what we're going to be dealing with here. And two, um. I, I kind of think I took it also that he was surprised that he didn't know. Like, I think he had realized in that moment, Oh my God, I don't even know what her father did. Now I wish I knew who said the magnify this please thing. Was that him? No, that was her talking still. That was her continuing. Okay. She was going to keep talking about her dad and then said, Oh, like she was distracted. She was, Oh, magnify this. This is what I want. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the best I can do for you is, is that's how I, contextualize those things I, I i think it's just more it's Crichton going by the numbers he doesn't care about this he cares about the money poor Crichton can't even defend himself no he can't he doesn't need to he's he did defend himself it's this piece of shit book do you have any more notes in that chapter nope that brings us to the next chapter the high hide no notes uh my note is finally some triceratops versus raptor action and then I had an idea, I had a thought, like, did they already address in narrative or, or narration or some other way how the high hide would work in a lightning storm? Did they bring that up at all? They didn't. And I, I, I had the same thought. I'm like, it's metal, right? Sticking out in the air with people inside it. Very tall, taller than a tree. That seems like, like a, a lightning rod. Like a choice or a lightning rod. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, we had the same thought. Don't, uh, other than those words being in the same proximity, I don't know if that was specifically pointed out. So we'll have to see if that comes up. Well, it's another, I, it could be another foreshadowing allusion to something that will happen. I don't know. Never read this book, but just sort of reading the tea leaves as it were. And that brings us to the next chapter. The herd. Uh, Perhaps I've watched too many Christmas specials this week. Okay. But the first section of this chapter reads like a Dr. Seuss book. Oh. And I was going to ask you maybe to read (laughs) the first chapter of The Herd. Chapter? Paragraph? 
Yep, the first chapter. The first paragraph of The Herd. <clears throat> Hold on. Let me find it first so I can confirm that this is what I was talking about. Um, ah, no, no, no. It's not It's not the first chapter. It's the third chapter. Or first, third paragraph. Uh, Starts with, they never did. Okay. They never did find out what the hell Malcolm was doing here, he thought. Not that it mattered now. King was getting off the island. That was the only thing that mattered. He could almost feel the deck beneath his feet. Maybe one of the fishermen would even have a beer. A nice cold beer. While they chugged down the river and pulled out of his damned island. He'd toast dodge is what he'd do. Maybe, he thought, I'll have two beers. See, okay, now let me read this to you how I thought it would okay. go. He could almost feel the deck beneath his feet. Maybe one of the fishermen would have a beer or a sandwich to eat. A nice cold beer while they chugged down the river and pulled out of this damn island uh, with nothing to fear for. Um, he'd toast Dodgson. That's what he'd do. Maybe he thought, I'll have a beer or two. Yes, I, I, I very much can see that. And I was reading that and it was like, the the meter was jumping around on me, and I was like, "Why am I susing this? Like, this is so weird." Um, <laughs> it felt it felt very gr- the Grinch to me. <laughs> like King hatches a compy. Yeah. Or a raptor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fever that would have rhymed with river. Eh. Ish. It's a ever burr kind of rhymes. Okay. It's not a gold star rhyme, but I mean, I, it's, I, it's assonance. People get away with it all the time. You're asinine. It's not what I said. <laughs> You're anise. Okay, I'm moving on. Um, also, it seems like people are always carrying candy bars in this book. Um, it happens at least twice. Uh, like Thorn, I think at one point throws, like tosses a candy bar off the high hide and let it lets it litter the island. That was such a um, shit thing to do. It was. It felt like so counterintuitive to everything else they were doing there, except you know bringing machines and cars onto the island, right? And guns, but and then like Levine, is he the one with the candy bar? He pulls it out and eats it, and it's like it's supposed to be hot here, right? I thought that was the um, not a candy bar, it was like a power bar, but yeah. It was, it, was, it was chocolate, though. They they mentioned it being made of chocolate, and I guess that's could still qualify. I just I was I think about Hershey's. I think sure. about a Hershey's bar of chocolate, right? That is what he has. That shit would melt. And yeah, and maybe this was a thing, but I like just to walk around with a chocolate bar on your person. That's a yeah. weird thing to do. Like, it's just, real weird. Just in case for a snack. Like uh, if I'm buying a chocolate bar, it's because that's what I'm in the mood for that second, and I'm going to eat it. This is not like I'm going to stash a Snickers in my sleeve pocket on the off chance I get hungry because it's going to melt. It's going to be so gross. One time when I was in high school, uh, it was probably around the Christmas season and I had, uh, no one knows why uh, there must be a reason. (laughs) Sorry. Um, and I had gone to the mall and, uh, the, the JC Penny at the mall had like a, like a standout front where they were giving away chocolate. And I was like, Oh, Fuck yeah. <laughs> Free chocolate. I'm not going to go into the store and I'm not going to spend money here, but I'm going to eat this chocolate. And so I was like, I, I grabbed some and I just shoved it in my pockets and I forgot about it. <laughs> and then I'd also forgotten that I had, at that period of time, 
I had taken to carrying around with me my uh my what was it called my my Nintendo my Game Boy uh it was like a Game Boy Advance but it flipped open mm-hmm. it was um what was that called uh anyway whatever that Game Boy was called and I had that in my pocket and so when I pulled it out of my pocket later oh boy it was covered in chocolate and it was all melted chocolate and it was like gross and i think i was able to rescue it but i felt really dumb i felt real dumb you should have you should have yeah i did i do uh so yeah that that would have happened in a tropical island you can't just have chocolate yeah like even sealed with cellophane it's gonna get all puffed up it's gonna melt inside drip out yeah it's gonna be an explosion like the the eventual joke they get to of the raptor eating the chocolate bar, I guess, is cute, but okay. Yeah. If if he had then like turned into Joe Pesci or something, that would have been amusing. My only other thought is that like you know maybe maybe before convenience stores were so everywhere or like vending machines or like. I mean, I can't feel. Like, I feel like those are always been a thing, even in the first Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, at least at least at this from the eighties on. Yeah, like so you're you. I mean, I guess if you're going on a on a hike or something, you might take some trail mix, but like a candy bar. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it just it just stuck out because um, he kept. There's so many of them. Anyway, uh, and then I think King dies, right? And so yeah, I okay. Um, that was my note. Uh, this felt like a big waste of a character to me because we got all that backstory on the boat and his setup and it, his setup made it, it, it seemed more involved and engaging than anything that they did with uh, Dodgson, even in the first book when they talked about, you know, his rabies and just showing what a jerk he was that, that this felt like set up to an arc. You thought it was going to be a negative arc. I thought it was going to be a positive arc. I thought it was going to be redeemed. You thought he was going to uh, surpass Dodge and him being an asshole. Um, but we both thought it was going to go somewhere. And really, he was there to stage the Jeep for Thorn later. That's it. That's why he's existed in this book. Yeah, and I think he's also there so that he can die instead of... Di- like, someone has to die. You have to have violence beats. Sure, so, sure. But, so like- but you could still have growth and something happen before that happens. And and there was nothing. I think that what the problem was is he was set up to be another Gennaro, where where Gennaro had a similar backstory and setup and kind of an arc uh-huh. um, in the first book. Well, a but huge arc in the up, first book, yeah, way more in the movie. But but he ends up getting taken out like uh, the vet or the PR guy, um, whose name I'm, I've I've lost again. Yeah, was that Harding? Yeah, I think it was Harding. Or Regis. Um, Harding or Regis? One Re- of the... Ed Regis is the vet. Um, I think Harding... No, Harding was Har- the vet. Regis was the one who got eaten. Okay. That's all I remember anyways. Um, Either way. Yeah, sure. They're probably Whichever both the, named the P- Ed with his affinity for Ed names. <laughs> the the PR guy who got Ed was... Uh, it, it was the same thing. Like, he didn't have a backstory or, or much of one. Right. He was there so he could die to give the book some violence and some threat. Right. That's the same thing that's happening with uh, King, uh, but he like, but but he was set up like a Dodge like or like a like a Gennaro. Right. So that's that bummed me out. Well, and I felt like one of the, one of the few people I was invested in, especially because the other guy died too. The other guy died in the nest. Right. Like, in the same way, like he he was there to be the 
the the bait the 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 sacrificial blood right to get get the reader excited right um so so i mean i one of the few characters i was engaged with and it just went nowhere and that's kind of indicative of the book i feel i think here's the, the problem is that Crichton has written 3 3 if not 4 uh monsters into his book into his Jurassic Park book. He has the Compies, he has the Raptors, he has the T-Rex, and to a lesser extent, he has the Dilophosaurus. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't know if the Dilophosaurus is going to show up in this book, but the other three have. So when you have a monster, you have to have the monster be monstrous. It has to kill something. It has to attack. It has to do something violent. So the and it has to do something violent to a human. Sure. Like, you can't just have it do something that you could write off as being natural. Humans, people, believe they're above nature. We, We believe we're disconnected from it because we've we've tamed it to some extent we're, we're killing it to another. Um, but so you have to have the Raptors kill a person. You have to have the Rex kill a person. You have to have the copies kill a person to have them pay off their existence and inclusion in the story. So unfortunately that's where he went. He was like, well here, this is the Raptor death. This is the, at least the first one. So I can remind the audience that these things are terrifying and vicious and scary, but I agree. It feels like a waste of a character, but, I think that hopefully, I guess again, benefit of the doubt is that hopefully that will just go to make Dodgson a much scarier bad guy. Like I want Dodgson to be like the kingpin. Like I want him to be like, uh, you know, Wilson Fisk and slam the guy's this, head in this, the door. Yeah, I want him to be like. Well, he does. He tosses her the fucking overboard. He basically kills her like that. Like. I want him to do that and then still have all those business acumen like machinations to be incredibly wealthy. I, li- I like he's he's the kingpin. So like I dig it. I, I want him to be more of that. But there was this other character that had this other like interesting arc he could have gone on and he just ends up getting uh, chumped. But whatever. doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I will say, though, that like it kind of. The way he dies, the way King dies in the in, in the way it's written, makes me wonder if Crichton's suggesting that raptors also have a venomous bite. Um, the way he sort of describes being I, the disconnect. I thought that might have been implied. I don't remember. Book. I, I, I couldn't tell if it was that or if it was like he was just sort of succumbing. His his brain was shutting down as he died right. to prevent the pain. But the, the problem I have with that is the way he writes the uh, King's death is so dramatically different from how he wrote the death of the guy in the Rex nest. That guy is screaming and, and going nuts because he's being ripped apart, but so is King. So I I was trying to try to think of a way to justify why the reactions to being eaten alive were so different. Mm -hmm. And the only one I could come up with was either venom or, he uh he, he was he was doing that thing you do when you when you drown or when you have hyperthermia sure sure um but uh, anyway well maybe maybe the other guy was torn apart by the claws and then eaten whereas with king they went right with their teeth which had the venom maybe i don't know maybe he was screaming maybe the first guy was being screaming cuz he was being squished yeah maybe maybe he was just a 20 ton monster just a weenie uh, maybe a little, a little rude. Speak ill of the dead. All right, I'm done with that chapter. So am I. Let's move on to the next chapter. Dodson. My only note here is I guess somebody else will have to die by compy in this book. 
because <laughs> Dodgson's not dead yet. He, there's or, still time. <sighs> but uh, yeah, I definitely didn't uh, didn't 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 have any notes. I guess is what I was gonna say. Yeah. All right. Let's move okay. on to the next chapter. Trailer. Okay. So. I got some things to say about this chapter. So do I. I'm going to say one of them first. It's pretty cool about the goat's milk. Didn't realize that. No, it isn't. It's not hypoallergenic? Doesn't matter. Reptiles and birds can't digest it. What's cool about it being hypoallergenic? That's all I meant. You know, cool, interesting, cool, it's hypoallergenic. Doesn't fucking matter because birds and reptiles can't digest fucking milk. You know why? <laughs> They're reptiles and fucking birds. They don't make milk. They can't. They don't have the enzyme, enzymes to digest it because they don't fucking have to. So you've looked this up. Oh yeah. <laughs> now who's got I didn't a chip have on their to. shoulder? I didn't have to because obviously. They're both they're both eggborn creatures or on the rare event live born or like tadpole born, but they're still fucking eggs. Um But like Ooh Just no. <laughs> that just no. If anything, these creatures would need to have food either brought to them, these these babies brought to them so that they could feed off of it and pick at it, or like fucking birds have it regurgitated into their mouths by their parents. Like that's that's much more like how these creatures would probably feed their young. Either here is a carcass, pick at it if you'd like. That's some animal. Some uh, I, I'm pretty sure some uh, birds of prey do that. I would not be surprised if reptiles do that too. As we discussed in an earlier chapter, in I think the last book, uh, some alligators and crocodiles are born with little egg sacs mm-hmm. like attached to them that they they use to feed for a while until they can actually hunt for themselves. Uh, frogs famously start out as this weird sort of ball of food for themselves that they morph into as they consume and continue to like uh, grow and and develop uh, to no longer have. Also, sometimes they're born and they uh, they sort of develop and hatch on their the backs of their parents in their skin um, or in little balls of food with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, their little egg sacs, their little yolks and things like that. So <laughs> I, I get how it's cool if you could feed other mammals with goat's milk because it's hypoallergenic. Right. Cool. So cool. So cool. How cool is that? So cool. Pretty cool. Uh, doesn't fucking matter oh boy. when you're talking about reptiles and birds. And if I'm fucking wrong about this, oh my god, I would love to know because that would be really cool. It would just be really cool if you could feed goat's milk to anything, but somehow I feel like that doesn't make sense. Humans have a hard time digesting animal milk. But that's, I thought goat's milk was supposed to be the, I know people who don't eat, who can't eat dairy, and they, they, they drink goat's milk because of that. It's entirely possible, but at least we have the basic uh, digestive structure to digest milk at all. Mm -hmm. Doesn't exist in these other creatures. I think we've got some uh, housekeeping. Go for it. Oh, (laughs) Um, gone. Yeah. Okay. Because 
even even some mammals, especially like marsupials, have a hard time like they're the way they process milk is weird. It's so strange and different. Like uh, kangaroos and platypus also they they like kind of or or an echidnas is a really cool one. Echidnas will like leak milk. They don't even like have like proper nipples. They just sort of like secrete milk from like a patch on their body. Um, Roos have like these these nipples in their oh, roos are so gross. <laughs> like they they have these these pouches, right? But I'm pretty sure the babies are born outside of the patch. Yeah, and then they crawl up yeah. the 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 body of their mother. F- presumed, I think. Uh, th- what I've always heard is that they they smell the scent of the milk. And can and, and 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 like hunt after it until they find their way into the gross, yucky, uh, fucking roo pouch where the nipples are, and they can just hang out in there for a long time. This weird outer fucking uterus thing, and external uterus that they live in, and 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 nurse in there. It's real weird. Um. So like, not all mammals even make milk the same way, but like, for sure as shit. Reptiles and birds don't. You ever seen an alligator nipple? Uh, no. Because they don't fucking exist! You sound like you you have strong feelings about this. It's just like, I have strong feelings about stuff that seems like it's elementary school level biology. Because I don't have much higher education than that when it comes to this stuff. But... It's it's just it's so simple. It's it's so it's such simple shit to never get wrong, mm-hmm. and it just feels. I, I want to know who his consultant was on this part, because I'd love to know if there's any if it was just him flexing. I know this about goat milk, or or if it's we were feeding these babies goat milk, and that's why they're all sickly. <laughs> They were malnourished from birth because we kept feeding them this thing they couldn't process. Oh, maybe. And and maybe that's why they were getting sick. It's because they were feeding them fucking goat milk. That would be cool. It'd be cool if that's how it turned out, where they were like, oh yeah, that was stupid. Anyone who thought that was a good idea was dumb. Ugh. Again, if if I'm wrong about that, bring it on. I want to know. I want to know so bad. Uh but my cursory Google search of can reptiles digest milk was a definitive no. Um, my only other note on this chapter was that I felt like it was a long but exciting chapter with great visuals and thrills. Okay. You can you can express your disagreement. Uh, I'm glad you were entertained and, and, and thrilled, as you put it. Um my overview note is this is the action set piece this is so boring <laughs> my wife burned popcorn so that was a welcome distraction oh it uh, I, uh that that that, that i i was not engaged i kept waiting for it to be over maybe because i knew some of the beats from the movie but uh, i didn't i didn't care about any of it and i just i wanted it to be done yeah, I uh, I think for me the idea was like, well, may, like what are, I don't know. I think this is the chapter where the the wrecks are like at the trailer. They haven't started attacking it yet. Uh-huh. 
uh, and or they've barely attacked it yet. Um, yeah, I, I I think that like I was I was probably more excited than I should have been because I was hoping that they. Oh no! This is this is the first attack because they push it over, and then then the next chapter is Thorn tying off the trailer, and then the last one is them getting out of it. I don't. Uh, okay, I don't know why I would have the note in this chapter about the egg sacs and the milk if it was a chapter where the attack was predominant. It's a long chapter. So That's why because it's, it, it could have been so both. long. Yeah, they have their discussion well, yeah. early on. So, um, but. But so it's probably still the chapter that includes the other stuff of the like the stuff that I was talking about, yes. like where the Rexes are at. Yeah. So um, that stuff I, I like because I think I was still convincing myself that it could. It could go it could div, like deviate from the film. I was still hoping. And then it became very clear. I was like, nah, this is it. This is the fucking movie. I will give this chapter uh, one positive note, which is I liked the. I think it was. I think it was this chapter too. I'm not honestly sure, but I liked. I wherever it was in the book, I liked the construction, the design and construction, and talking through the cast for the T Rex. I hated that. That's really, funny. I really did. I I appreciate I appreciated the problem solving approach and how they 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 explained all the problems with it and hopefully this would work why didn't you like it uh i think it goes back to this idea i have uh and i could be wrong but my gut instinct is that you never remove a baby from its nest oh Um, sure never ever ever sure 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 like you go and this is what drives me so nuts about eddie's behavior is like you prime directive the fucking bird or the or the baby, and you leave it alone. You don't touch. You don't touch a moose. You don't touch a calf moose. Mm-hmm. You don't touch, uh, fucking birds, because you could like I've all my entire life. It's always been like there's you. You could have unintended consequences of the things you're doing to this thing you're appreciating that could end up making it have a harder life. You don't touch the wings of a butterfly. You don't touch like, uh, you don't tug on Superman's cape. Yeah, you don't touch, you don't remove a baby bird from a nest because the mother might think, or the, the thing I was told is that the mother might think that the baby is uh, tainted or not hers or something because it smells wrong, and then they'll kick it out of the nest and it'll die before it could fly. Right. Like, it'll, it'll crash to death on the ground. I, I, you just, if you care about the things, uh, nature and things like that, you it's sometimes the best way to express it is to not interact with it. And I definitely thought um, that was going to be part of the story, where they would go with that. So... The reason I didn't like the the cast stuff is because all these smart char- characters who have some of them have really like <laughs> recent and lifelong experiences dealing with animals should know. Oh shit! The first thing we need to do here is get this animal the fuck out of here. Sure, like it needs to go away. It needs to go back. Fuck its broken leg. Fuck all that shit. Absolutely, take it away immediately. That's what should have happened. And instead, we have all these characters getting hot and, and excited and like like really getting boned up about having this problem to solve and like Michael Crichton flexing that he's like, oh look at all this science and chemistry and shit that I could just rattle off and it makes total sense, I guess. Um But that's but but regardless of, of, of how the story got there, I like that part of the problem solving of the cast. Divorced from the stupidity of bringing the T Rex into their midst. That was cool. It felt like Robert Downey Jr. in any Sherlock Holmes film. Yeah, I love that too. Oh, I hate that as shit. Long, <laughs> as long as it was the first one and not the crappy sequel. 
which had it's- which had as Moriarty Jared Harris, who we all know is Richard Harris's son and would have made a be- better Dumbledore. Who's Richard Harris? Fuck you. <laughs> Um, the, uh, I, I, I hate that shit. I, I don't like it. I, I, I mean, I feel like there's a, a trend in, in, uh, episodic police procedurals that, that relies on this sort of thing a lot, uh, you know, coming out of the Sherlock Holmes tropes, um, you have, you know, CSI and other stuff where, you know, even, even Will Graham, like even though when he does it, it is cool because visually it's cool, but like, it's like this mix of MacGyver and Sherlock Holmes. And I just don't fucking care about that. I, it just, if, okay. It feels like it's adding this, uh, cotton candy flavor, like fun thing of like, look at us be so smart when it's drawing out a sequence that, should be focused on the fact that they have a baby T-Rex that's going to bring its parents to find it. Like, this is going to happen. They didn't know that and was they... going to happen. They didn't... Sarah Hart- That's my problem. Sarah Harding should have known. Like, you said in another episode, in a recent episode, that somebody should, Malcolm should have known something. Well, Levine suspected, but he was just kept being like, I don't know, something's going to happen. I, I think that Harding, with all of her experience with mammals and 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 predators, should have known. But but these that, aren't mammals; these are basically birds. And birds, like you said, kick shit out of the nest and don't take it back. So it stands to reason, in my mind, that they've got this thing here. Putting it back would be way more suicidal and futile than you don't what even need to put to it back. You could just ditch it in the forest near as as near as you could get. But it's a baby. It's got big eyes. It's like Baby Yoda. You ha- you can't be a scientist and care about that shit. Like, you have to let that shit go. Well, maybe they're going to be the first. The first scientist to be bad? The first scientist to care. <laughs> that Then they will fail. <laughs> they're going to start failing. Wow. That's un- that's how it works. Like, you can, you can care to a degree, but once you start like putting your life and your experiments at risk for caring, you stop being a scientist and you start becoming an activist. And those are different things. And then humanity suffers because you don't care about your fellow person. Where's your science now? Mr. Darwin. (laughs) I don't know. (sighs) You want to go to the next chapter? Yeah. Chapter Thorn. Thorn. (laughs) Uh, my only note here is this feels like an extension of the other chapter. Yeah, uh, I, I I was first weirded out, and then I realized what was going on. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but the way they kept cutting back to the high hide was effectively like a Greek chorus wide shot. And I'm like, why are they doing this when it doesn't really add anything? And then I realized it was so he could get away from the tediousness of explaining all of Thorne's I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this I'm going to do this it was just to be able to pull back and like see the little figure running around what's he doing oh it looks like he's saving the day by using the jeep wench to hook it to the trailer oh cool back to Thorne and just saved pages of exposition I'm like it was economical it was a neat trick okay I'm amused I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wryly amused by 
it, it just kind of sh- it, it felt like it showed Michael Crichton's disengagement. It's like, ugh, I'll have the character say what he's doing because I feel fuck. like you're projecting sometimes, though. I feel like you're disengaged and you project. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. See, I, I know how he thinks. I've I've read his work and I've gotten inside his head, and uh, I'm basically Will Gramming Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, B- I've got perfect empathy. Bill was a naughty boy. It's a, it's a different killer. <laughs> um, this is the uh, the fossil fairy. Is that a is that a new thing you've made up? Because I'm literally trying to go back through the episodes of Hannibal and think. Is I'm, I'm a, trying, a reference to the tooth fairy. Right, right, right. From because of uh, the impressions, like fossils, right, bite marks. Uh, it's it's. I mean, because you haven't read the book, you haven't read Red Dragon. You got you got like what six episodes that were shadowed by their other episodes. So you, you don't know what right. I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. That brings us to the last chapter of this episode. Trailer. Do you have any notes? Not a one. Mine is if you thought the last episode ended with a cliffhanger. You would be correct because I, I wanted to make that joke and then they got off the cliff. This one does too. No, it doesn't. They're, they're safe. They're, they're no not, longer. They're they not are. hanging off the cliff, but something is. The rest of the ch- the truck hasn't. The, the trailer hasn't broken off. And no, fallen. it just separated. It it separated and broke and looked like a crumpled paper bag at the bottom of the thing. The second trailer is still on top of the ledge. Nothing is hanging off the cliff. I'm not convinced. Nothing is hanging off the cliff. No, I understand. It's very big right now to not concede. I didn't say I wasn't conceding. I'm just not nope. convinced. No, you didn't. You didn't say that. I demand a reread. <laughs> and there it is. Um. Also, Sarah is a fucking badass. She rules. She's the Sarah Connor of this book. She is. Uh. She is Ripley. She is Sarah Ripley. She is. Uh. Joan of Arc. She's all of them. Sarah Joan of Arc. Um. They just, you know, Sarah's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am. Uh, we got a couple more, a couple more bits to read, and then we're done. We're like two episodes. Is that what it is? So I'm. Yeah. I'm basically at this point wondering if they're going to get off the island in this book. Like I'm wondering how much of the movie going to San Diego is just oh, the movie. I feel like the. I feel like that was added. I, yeah, I don't like, remember, but I space. feel like no. Because they haven't even set that up. They're not talking about it. There's nothing that would have foreshadowed that. No, I, I, I think that was... I thought I remember reading at the time Spielberg just really wanted to do some kind of Godzilla-like movie. He clearly... Okay, so uh, he clearly wanted to do some King Kong shit because yeah. uh, the besides the whole bring the monster from the island to the mainland King Kong reference, the literal... Okay, so in the in the movie... The, the ship that crashes into the pier with the dinosaurs on board and all the dead crew members, um, it's the it's named the Venture, which is the same name as the ship in King Kong. It's a gotcha. direct reference. Uh, aside from all the other obvious reference, it's like sure. there's he put, he fucking highlights it and it's like, no, really, I like King Kong. Remember in the first movie when I said when well, they got King Kong in here, it's like that. But now. San Diego's my New York. Do you think he was steamed that Peter Jackson got to remake it? 
maybe. I mean, yeah, he literally put King Kong into Ready Player One, so he got what he wanted. No, he didn't. That was a that was a pale imitation. He 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 it still did it. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, but he did no, it. <laughs> I'm saying. But he did it. It's it's right there. Me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's late. The venture. That's that's the reference you should remember. Well, that brings us to a new word alert. Okay. I don't have a very I don't have a very good new word alert this time, so it's going to be short and probably unsatisfying. There's literally nothing I can do with that. Yeah, that's exactly what you would expect someone to say in this situation. Well, I'm not going to tease it out of you. I mean, I, I feel like I've already turned this segment into a, a, a pretty big boner. <laughs> and so I'm just going to move on to reading the new words. Ready? Yep. Fet. Fet. Uh, a feared bounty hunter and his son. Fet. Uh, is it like a... I want to say it's synonymous with sortie. Is it like a a skirmish? Uh, uh, it's either it's either like a a fight during wartime or a party of some kind. That one. A fet, a festival. Uh, a lavish, often outdoor entertainment, a large, elaborate party, or verb to honor or commemorate with a fet, to pay high honor to. There you go. So I got that word from Strange Tales 114. Uh, it's it's this old issue of the this this Marvel comic book where uh, it was it was the issue where they sort of tested the water about whether or not the audiences would want Captain America to come back from the dead after his mm. long absence from World War Two. So they have this uh, the the Human Torch had his own like solo book called strange tales where he would not introduce... the, not the fantastic four human torch, right? The other, yes, human the, torch. Fan, the fantastic four oh, human torch, Johnny's he had his own book. Okay. He had his own, he had his own like solo stories in this book called strange tales where he would interact with other heroes and have one-off adventures with them and do his own thing aside outside of the fantastic four. Cause he was essentially the fantastic force Spider-Man. He was the, right. their young superhero doing his own young things. And when your readership is young people, you want to, give them as many opportunities to relate to the characters as they can. And who are they going to relate to the young guys? So they, uh, this story, uh, is about the human torch essentially being jealous that there's this town who's throwing this parade and celebration for captain America who's returned. And, uh, the torch's friends come over and say, Hey dude, captain America's back. You got to go see. And he's like, why is everybody happy about seeing captain America? So he goes and he's going to like crash the party. And it's got this, parade it's got a, a classic car uh you know fair or exhibit and while the torch is there these uh crooks steal a classic car they steal a, a really expensive uh car and they're like shoot their tommy guns into the crowd and riding away it's terrifying torch is like i'll get them and then out of nowhere comes captain america and he's like shut up youngster i'll take care of these guys and he's like beating them up and whatever and he and the torch like kind of you know they clash and they don't they don't cooperate Sounds like a yum yum Chris Evans sandwich. It kind of does. Uh, except that there's this really strange thing about this Captain America in that 
his his outfit sort of wrong. His trunks are red. Now Cap's trunks are blue. His pant legs are blue. His trunks are blue. So this is noticeable to someone who knows what they're looking at. And you can go, that something's wrong with Cap's outfit. So Cap and, and the torture are kind of rude. They're kind of mean to each other. Like Cap's not he doesn't sound like Captain America. He sounds like a cruel guy. So they bust these guys, they capture them, they take them to, to prison, they lock them up. And the torch and Cap sep- uh, go part th- part ways and they're they're separated. And then the uh Torch is all bummed out that Captain America was such a jerk. And he's just sort of like fuming about it. And his girlfriend's like, I think Cap's dreaming. He's like, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> and and then it cuts to uh, the, the crooks who are in prison. And Cap shows up. He swings up a whole bunch of flagpoles and stuff. And he breaks them out of prison. And he releases the guys he just locked up. And then he gives them a new car, this Ferrari he stole from the car show. And he's like, yeah, get out of here. Scram. Get as far away from here as possible. I'll cause a distraction. So he runs uh, around and the police find him and they catch him or they see that he, he helped and the torch finds out. The torch goes back. They have a fight. Torch beats him up. Uh, realizes that he, uh, after beating him up, that he's not Captain America. He's a bad guy that uh, a, a torch villain called the Acrobat, who apparently had powers that could resemble Captain America's if he dressed up like Captain America. And they lock him up and they throw him away and... and Torch is like, wow, good thing it wasn't really Captain America. And it occurred to me, huh, this is a kind of a story about a criminal charlatan garbing himself in the accoutrement of America and telling everybody that he represents America because he is wearing America as a costume. He's wearing the flag as a costume to grift them and enrich himself and steal from them, and turn them into rubes, and they couldn't be more happy to, because they're depressed, they're sad, they're poor, they're not doing well, and the only thing they have been ever been educated in believing in is America, is the idea of America, and so when it's hard for simple people like that to see a guy dressed as America coming around to tell them that he's going to save them and not give him everything he asked for because you expect him to pay you back or to, you know, reciprocate. And it's sort of interesting to see this weirdly prophetic parable story being told from 60 years ago about that exact thing. And the hero of the story is a, you know, brash youth who can see through the facade and is going to literally burn it all down rather than let more people be you know duped and and mm-hmm. and taken advantage of and i thought wow that's intense <laughs> that's an intense thing to read but how did the word fet come into it the party they were throwing for captain america was referred to in the book as a fet well there it is there it is so um it's a nice parallel you've drawn i like it I didn't draw anything. You drew it. No. Nope. You inked it. Mm. I'm just telling you the story that I read in a 60-year-old comic book for children because it's that kind of parallel parable you should be able to understand implicitly. The simplest people should be able to grasp these concepts. And then you likened it to today, which would be drawing the oh, parallel. Oh, I did what? You just did this. I don't think I said anything so overt. Well, then I'll cut all this out. <laughs> 
No, I made so many good parallels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? I don't. Let's go to bed. Um, <laughs> but not together. Something would be wrong with that. Uh, I'm a married man. I mean, after all the stuff you decided to talk about last episode, I feel like it's sort of odd for you to take a pot shot like this. Cute. Sort of just, man. <sighs> wonder, I wonder which uh, Marvel comic book I'll read that'll parallel you soon. <laughs> oh, no. Cyclops, watch out. It's, you know, the the guy who wouldn't kiss a mutant because that's disgusting. I'd like to see myself as more of a Bobby Drake kind of guy. You're not that cool. I'm not. That was Death Readers. I'm Doug. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> and also Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Sure it's matched. <laughs> That's not my point. My point is you slow down to meet my tempo and I slow down er to meet yours. Because I'm going to win. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm not saying it's right. Whatever that I'm... looks like to you, man. Uh, no. Whatever winning looks like to you, I hope you get it. It's like losing a lot. <laughs> it's like wow. losing some greater ineffable concept that I'm, I have no uh, cognition of. Because I can't understand it with my Life? feeble grasp. <laughs> sure. Sure. I think my small victory is the end-all be-all, and I'm, I'm missing out on something much grander. But that's yeah. probably not it. <laughs> no, that is that's it. You nailed it. You uh, you have done in a moment what Buddhists take a whole lifetime to do. <laughs> well, congrats. You can you can uh, ascend to Nirvana. You have attained enlightenment. You've understood that your Mortal preoccupations are essentially meaningless and will no longer and could not possibly ever lead you to happiness or self-contentment. You're there, man. Eight fold paths. I even know what that means, but I'm not going to do anything with it. <laughs> and that is why you fail. Um, I wish I knew more about Buddhism. <laughs> I guess all I, I, I exhausted all my keywords. I mean... Yeah. All I know about Buddhism is kung fu and the hot dog joke. Tell me the hot dog. Oh, it's joke. not worth it. No, I want to leave that hanging. Tell me the hot. I dog don't want joke. to. It's a stupid joke my mom told me when I was little, and then had to explain Buddhism to me, so I got it. Wrong hole. There was a frog in her throat. What? <laughs> I want that just to be it. We can just move on now. <laughs> That's the punchline. <laughs> You heard that? Uh, you heard that Buddhist uh, hot dog joke? Wrong hole. There was a frog in her throat. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. 
This is episode 82 of Death Readers. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, this is a podcast where we... we re- I'm going to start this whole fucking thing over. <laughs> I'm got the mouth jitters from too much sugar. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is the podcast. Fuck, I'm starting over. <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. If this is your fucking... Nope, 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 nope. I know what to do. I know what to do. I know what to do. I'm going to do it right. Here we go. One, two, three. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 82 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read through books for the first time. At least I do. So we're going to start that way. We're going to end that way. We'll, We'll start this like we finished it. Together. Oh wait, no, I said that backwards, didn't I? Never mind. That's cut. That's that's out. That's out. Go ahead. You know they come with silent features. That's an alarm that goes off. Mm, mm, Alarms can't, can't be silenced. Mm, no, they can't. No, they can't. No, they couldn't be. No, no, they can't. No, they can't. They can't. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> No shit. <laughs> um, I hope I didn't break these ones too. Oh, poor Rob. Hey, fuck you. Well, I, I'm not trying to. I'm serious. Like I, you told me I don't earlier. I need your goddamn sympathy. Oh wait, that'd be one of those pump the brake moments, wouldn't it? it you're getting closer. <laughs> um. Circuitous. You did that one last time. Okay, let's move on from that one. (laughs) 